every time you find yourself here, it's because you chose to come back. Hello, my name is Mark S. And I have, of my own free accord, elected to undergo the procedure known as severance. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Luggedal Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing Severance, the new Apple TV series directed mainly by uh, Ben Stiller. Severance is an American science fiction psychological thriller Streaming television series created by Dan Erickson and directed by Ben Stiller, uh, Alfie McArdle. Uh, it stars uh, Adam Scott, Zach Cherry, Britt Lower, Tramel Tillman, Jen Toluk, Dijan Latchman, uh, Michael Chermness, John Turturro, and uh, I want to kind of keep the other ones, uh, other individuals that are in this series a little bit under the belt. Or, you know, if you haven't seen it or seen any advertisements, I don't want to release too many names, but it's also featuring Patricia Arquette. So the plot follows Mark, Scott, an employee of Lumen Industries who agrees to go undergo the severance program uh, in which it's it's kind of a little bit different from any other series that you've uh, really seen before. And I don't want to really go into too much detail about the spoilers of what Severance is. I'm going to give my initial impressions of uh, exactly how I felt watching the show. And then I'm going to go into uh, kind of first episode impressions and then last episode impressions, just kind of give it an overarching feel of what I thought uh, watching this uh, television series. So uh, it's got some really notable names behind it. It's got, you know, Ben Stiller. Everyone knows him from generally his acting career, but he's really had an interesting uh, behind the scenes, behind the camera um, work when it cam- comes down to like uh, Escape from Danamora. I thought that was very interesting. Um, ba- lo- I think it was loosely based off of a true story and that had uh, uh, featured Patricia Arquette as well. She's also uh, in a producer on this show as well. So um, he Ben Stiller is bringing the fire. Everybody, the supporting cast, the composers, the cinematographers, uh, what do we have? Cinematography by Jessica Lee Dean and Matt Mitchell. Uh, composers Theodore Shapiro. Everything is working on the highest cylinders possible. I walked into this show not knowing really anything about it, just basically going off the poster of uh, Adam Scott sitting at a desk. And it looked pretty interesting, just, you know, irreverent in a way. And so I, I'd seen Adam Scott in a few things. A lot of people know him from uh, Parks and Rec. People uh, were exposed to him in uh, Step Brothers with his comedy chops, and as well as uh, Party Down, which is a big, big favorite among Adam Scott fans. A lot of people have seen Zach Cherry pop up here and there, kind of like a, a 
very funny character on uh, anything from the show You to Succession to um, now Severance. He's really created a name for himself um, under that. I've never seen Britt Lower in anything, uh, but she's she's been acting all the way back uh, up before uh, 2012. She even before then 2010 in Big Lake. She was in some Law and Order special SVU. She was in um, uh, let me see anything else. Uh, the show Casual. The I think it was the show Wrecked. She's also been in um, High Maintenance. That was a HBO show, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. She's been in a lot of different uh, types of, you know, all over the spectrum type of genre to non-genre television and filmmaking. And so the the actors, the behind the scene, in front of the screen, everyone is working on the highest cylinders possible. Now, going into this show, I think it's best if you don't know anything. If you uh, if you're coming to this, you know, brand new, I would walk into it's it's basically worth the Apple subscription for at least the month or two that you're going to watch this, um, because it is compelling as hell. It's funny as shit, and for the most part, pretty damn unpredictable. And alongside it being uh, uh, what feels like a a very original idea that also allows them to cultivate these uh, real human emotions kind of tied and weaved all in between those. And so, uh, yes, the, the first episode absolutely had me hooked. I'm about to start talking about the first episode and just what the overall severance program is. Um, so, uh, I would have expected you to have at least watched the first episode at this point. And if I didn't sell you already on the show, I would say I've seen, I think about four or five shows across several different, uh, Netflix, HBO streaming, uh, Disney, uh, streaming platforms. Severance is my number one show at this point of 2012. Sorry, 2012. What year is it? 2022. I think I've been severed. I don't know what what, what year it is. It, Severance, as of right now, uh, mid-April, is my favorite show of the year of 2022. It's going to be interesting to see if anything really pops above it. But um, I was I was thinking that um, uh, Peacemaker was one of my favorite shows, kind of with uh, the original action hero comedy uh, led by James Gunn, um, and uh, this this surpasses it. I think it's more of an even toned uh, show. It's a little bit more what feels original, relatable, and uh, the entire thing feels like it has a ton of money in it. It looks amazing. It's it's a beautiful show on top of it, you know, being acted well and being produced, uh, you know, heavily. I, I got to say that it looks like every single frame of the show is, um, you know, meticulously crafted. And uh, yeah, I, I got to say, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this first episode. So um, I will say on top of that, I had a tweet that came out um, after the first episode, I believe I had, let me, let me just pull that up before I continue. Um, 
my my first tweet was uh, severance episode one. Uh, I said, well, fuck. It looks like I'm going to have to start subscribing to Apple Plus now. <laughs> and I did. I actually had um, three free months on Apple Plus uh, that was included with my Apple Watch that I bought a few, you know, a while back. But um, I got to say that it was it, it was totally worth it. I, you know, I, I'm being exposed to high quality television that I've been looking for um, that usually was provided by other platforms. This felt like it easily could have been an HBO show uh, a few years back. Um, I think Escape from Dannemora was a Showtime show uh, that was directed by uh, Ben Stiller as well. And uh, I had Paul Dano in it. And uh, let me see. I don't have everybody off the top of my head. Paul Dano and uh, Patricia Arquette were in that as well. Um, but overall, um, I thought that that was a, an extremely high, highly well-produced show that felt like you were watching uh, a miniseries movie. And it, um, I, I didn't really have too many complaints about that, um, that show either. I was really impressed with Ben Stiller's ability to have you know, a complete drama. I mean, this show Severance has a lot more um, comedy weaved in there, but there is also a high level of um, ir irreverent relatability to the characters and to the situation that we are in. Um, so yeah, I would have expected you to have watched at least the first episode for the first little half of the podcast. Um, and my that tweet was actually liked. My the one I said I was uh, said it looks like I'm gonna have to start. Uh, I'm gonna have to start subscribing to Apple Plus now. Um, was liked by Ben Stiller, and I did notice, and I've heard over a couple other podcasts that the Severance casts have been very active on the social medias, kind of, um, you know, giving the love back to the people that are um, paying. Uh, paying attention to the show, I I didn't I had another tweet towards the end of the series. I, I won't give any spoilers away, but it was also liked by um, Deechan Latchman, who is uh, another character, and um, who's another actress that is in this show as well. And like I said, there are no small parts in this series. I was I was pretty blown away by it um, overall. So. Um, continuing on to the first episode, um, let's talk about what the severance uh, program is. I, I wanted to say that the main character, Adam Scott, is involved. He is the, relatively the main character of this um, ensemble piece, but because uh, we're following him generally. But everybody almost has um, pretty equal screen time with regards of the main cast. And so let's talk about what is the severance program, which is what we're introduced to the first episode in the first episode. So the plot follows Mark uh, Scott, an employee of Lumen Industries, who agrees to a severance program, who agrees yeah, to a severance program in which his non-work memories are separated from his work memories which is a fascinating idea on its own, just kind of thinking about the repercussions. Maybe that sounds pretty appealing to some people. It's like, oh gosh, I wish I could just like skip to the end of the day. Well, I mean, that's essentially what they're doing. Um, you know, once they enter the workspace, 
they essentially turn into a secondary self, which they actually classify as in their, their selves going to work in work as their any. And when they leave work is their Audi kind of like a, you know, belly button terms in, in a way. But I got to say that, um, you know, with, with saying that I was, um, I was pretty fascinated uh, going into the first episode and just kind of going through it. I, I could tell just from a visual standpoint, I was like, this is going to be different. This is something I'm looking for in entertainment value with, uh, you know, with regards to the pacing and the, uh, the kind of weirdness that is happening throughout it and its ability to uh, also, you know, provide these very, dry laughs um I, and when i say dry it's uh, i don't mean and i don't mean that in a derogatory way but sometimes just the the comedy that is coming from it is just from having like an irreverent science fiction workplace television series and um i almost wouldn't even classify this as a television series because it feels like you're watching a movie um every step of the way just from the production value, the acting, everything. Like I said, it's working on all cylinders. So Mark agrees to be in the severance program. And, you know, his memories are completely separated. He almost, be, you, you're becoming two separate people. And so, uh, like I said, the series premiered on Apple TV Plus on February 18th, 2022, to universal acclaim from critics who praised its performances, narrative, musical score, cinematography, and production design. Like I said, all of it is hitting on high cylinders. The um, Apple is not, uh, is not cheaping out on, you know, skimping out on the cheapness on any of this. They are producing something that is quality. Um, in uh, April 2022, the series was renewed for a second season. So we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. But uh, I just kind of wanted to get that out. Um, right now, there's one season, nine episodes, all about 40, maybe 40 to 50 minutes each, give or take. Um, and uh, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Let me kind of go into the, uh, the premise of this at least first episode. A sinister biotech corporation, Lumen Industries, uses a severance medical procedure to separate the non-work memories of some of their employees from their work memories. One severed employee, Mark, gradually uncovers the web of conspiracy from both sides of the division. Get a little, little bit of coffee provided by Lumen. Ironically, this is a Apple TV Plus show, but the Lumen uh, big corporation that they are following in this and, you know, kind of a little bit shady, um, it kind of feels like a strange blend of Apple, the real Apple um, brand, and uh, like Amazon kind of combined together. And so... Let's uh, let's hop into the first episode.
So I would have expected you to have at least watched the first episode or be prepared to understand and hear all of the, the juicy goodness that is happening in this first episode. Episode one is Good News About Hell. This was directed by Ben Stiller. I think he directed one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six. So he d- directed the first three and the last three episodes. So good news about hell. A woman wakes up in a conference room with no memory of who or where she is. After being given a survey, learning she is Helly, a new hire at Lumen Industries. She's allowed to leave, but she is unable to do so. She then sees a video explaining that she has undergone the severance procedure, which bifurcated her memories to create a version of herself that will only exist inside the workplace. Ergo, you know, the the any versus the Audi. Um, So Mark Scout, who works alongside Heli in Lumen Macrodata Refinement Division, discovers he is being prompted to to depart. Sorry, sorry. He discovers he is promoted to department head in light of coworker PD's sudden departure. The outside version of Mark, ergo the Audi, a former history professor grieving his wife's death and living in the Lumen-subsidized town of Kier, encounters a man claiming to be Petey, who gives him a letter with cryptic instructions. Mark returns home and interacts with his neighbor, Miss Selvig, unaware that she is the outside version of his boss, senior manager, Harmony Cobell. So I, I will say, you know, it's a little bit of, a, a, you know, a mouthful of information to kind of uh, intake if you haven't actually watched the show. But, you know, essentially we're following Mark and we're trying to understand why someone would want to go through the severance program. You know, in going through that, we're going to start talking about the the next couple episodes here in a minute as well. Um you know, we find out about the backstory of Mark and, um, you know, what would drive someone or motivate someone to undergo the severance program. You know, what are the benefits of someone that would really want to go through this? And honestly, you find out pretty damn quickly that um, it's mostly to suppress your outside self and your expressions and human emotions um, that would normally come that you would bring in uh, with you to work. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was pretty fascinating and um, and the way that they were executing it and kind of unfolding the mystery. And in this first episode, we really, we honestly wake up on the table um, with the main character, one of the main characters, um, Heli, who is um, played by Britt Lower. Um, and Essentially, we find out that the macro data, macro data refinement division, all of them are essentially on the severed floor. 
and it's slow reveals in a way that are still um, very, very well paced for a television show. It's, you know, dropping bits and pieces of interesting information, a lot of visual storytelling, things happening in the background, information being given to you. Um, but I got to say that I was I was pretty thrilled by just watching the first ep- first I think I watched the first three episodes. They were all released at the same time, and uh, I was almost instantly hooked. So the the mystery aspect of this strange workplace and the severance program, yeah, I was I was totally in. And on top of having uh, the visuals were just so eye capturing, um, the direction felt like I was in the um, the hands of, of an extremely talented and confident director, uh, Ben Stiller. And I, I don't want to, I know he's, he's the big name behind it, but we have other names behind it as well. Dan Erickson um, as a writer, Andrew Colville, writer, Carrie Drake, Anna Unag Monik as a writer, Amanda Overton, Helly Lee, Chris Black. There's a lot of people writing on this show, but it feels like everyone was in the writing room at the same time. Um, really working and uh, refining, quote unquote, uh, a really interesting um, script that I never once felt like was direct going or being directed in a different direction. And so, um, yeah, it's it's kind of like this, this dry humor workplace comedy that's wrapped up in like, that is wrapped up in a very elusive plot of um, this severance program. And, um, you know, we're going to start talking about the rest of the season. I would have expected you to have watched it or to have uh, uh, be prepared for spoilers throughout the rest of the season. But overarching, um, this is a very well-crafted show. I was um, watching the last episode this morning really early. I, I couldn't sleep and so I was like, oh, gosh, I just uh, I wish there was something good to watch. And I was like, oh, shit, the last episode of Severance just came on. I was like, I didn't get my shit ready. I popped open the popcorn or something like that. I didn't pop popcorn this morning. I was drinking a little bit of coffee, but I was like, um, I was 110 percent ready to um, watch what was going to happen. And I'd say, um, you know, I'd say 98 percent of the show is uh, spot on to the point where I was like, this is amazing television. Now, there are a few side plots that feel somewhat forgotten in a way. Um, we're going to start talking about PD, who is the superior of um, Mark at, um, during the severance program. But um, I do feel like there is some small, small minor gaps in the tele- uh, storytelling that are just kind of not even mentioned or spoken about towards the end of the show. Um, at least his first season. And so um, that, that's basically that's basically it. I think the easiest way to probably talk about this show uh, through, through the episodes would be to kind of go through each of the characters. So the first one, like I said, Mark Scout, a worker for Lumen Industries and the macro data for Fine uh, Division, who is part of the severance program. Um, and the reason he is uh, in the severance program is because he is grieving the death of his wife which it is kind of uh, on the forefront face of just like not, they completely are holding back um, information from the viewer of who is Mark's wife. 
you know, why are we seeing all this grieving of her, but we're never seeing an actual photo of her, never seeing a backstory, we're never seeing flashbacks, that type of stuff. Um, and so we're very much in the perspective of the any mark. And now when they are the any mark or the the any heli or the the, the workplace environment versions of themselves are kind of like uh, essentially like childlike in a way they're not like acting 100% like children but in in the way that they're exposed to the world they're very limited to what they've seen so imagine like you working nine to five in this macro data refinement center or whatever um, you know little cubicle desks and stuff like that um, and the, the set designs are immaculate. I can't say enough good things about it. I don't, I don't have a name for the who did it, but uh, whoever did the, the set designs is spot on. Um, so the, the memories of the innies, uh, any workers are essentially, uh, they stop once they leave the building and they begin again when they come back into the building. And uh, it's uh, specifically the elevator is what activates and deactivates the severance chip in their head, which is something that we see implanted in Heli around the second, I think it's the uh, second episode. And it's pretty intense. It almost seems like some Elon Musk shit with the brain implants and shit like that. It honestly deters me from ever wanting to do anything like this because of the split personality aspect of it seems just horrifying on, on the face of it. Um, so Zach Cherry um, plays Dylan George, Marks or Dylan G. They're all referred, I think the majority of them uh, are referred to as like Mark S or Dylan G or um, uh, Irving or something like that. Most of them are, most of them are referred to as, you know, their first name with the last name attached, just their initials. With the, except for, with the exception of Irving, I think. I don't know why. But um, anyways, Dylan G or Dylan George is Mark's severed, co-worker who enjoys company perks and he is cracking me up during this he's from the first episode you know he's he's like the ultra refiner and i haven't even talked about what refining is it's like they have to look at a screen full of uh random numbers and and literally click the scary numbers out and put them into a file bin labeled q1 q2 q3 or q4 and that's what they're doing all day from nine to five is just picking out the scary numbers. And, and apparently the scary numbers will jump out at you uh, that any versions of themselves will see scary numbers on the computer screen. And it feels like the set design is made from somewhere like in the 19, mid 1980s. And they have these old ass computers where they're just like rolling roll ball and like clicking random numbers and placing them into a file. I was just like, it's so it's such a dry humor type ridiculous on the face um, type premise that it's, it's just hilarious to watch as well. Um, but honestly, they kind of get caught up into the mix as just as much as um, I'm caught up into 
the show you know they they get caught up actually trying to get the scary numbers i mean at one point they're all like gathering around heli who's a really good refiner at one point and she's just like clicking all the scary numbers and they're like oh my gosh she's like 76 refinement numbers all my chicks you know she's she's getting them scary numbers and so um uh i just thought the the mdr department is is freaking hilarious um so it, uh, Dylan G, he's got like these random perks that they're trying to win. And you know how like big companies are always trying to say, all right, if you get so-and-so numbers, if you get your sales numbers to so-and-so, you know, 500 by the end of the week, then we get to have a party or a pizza party or something like that. And so they have these random rewards that are so subpar. They're like, uh, you know, you get, uh, if you do find so many scary numbers in a certain amount of time, then you're going to have a, a waffle party. You're going to have a, um, a melon party. You're going to get a paper mache bullshit. It's like a lot of the, the, uh, <laughs> the rewards for these really minute tasks are minute rewards. It is, it's kind of, uh, it's super dry on the face of it. And I keep saying dry because no one's really like, goofing off and laughing at that point because they're like super self-serious about it it's like oh my gosh i'm gonna get that waffle party and dylan g keeps talking about this fucking waffle party throughout the series and i'm like what is this thing is he just like having you know breakfast at some point and so um the more you think about it these little minute rewards that they're getting are actually really big deals to them as the severed employees because they, they haven't been exposed to the real world. And so they have like little office activities. I don't think I've laughed at a television show um, this hard since I want to say maybe The Office, you know, with Steve Carell and you got Jim and Dwight and Pam and all of them. Um, and that it's kind of of that realm of kind of ridiculous um telling a joke but at a you know but keeping your face very straight it's like are you serious man and so I, the type of comedy is right up my alley and I whoever was leading the writing room um absolutely 10 out of 10 the the comedy serves itself just as much as the dramedy it, it the tone the tonal shifts of the show for me worked so well um which uh, I was just like, I was here for. So uh, yeah, Dylan G is all about the rewards. Brittany Lower is uh, Heli Riggs. We kind of talked a little bit about her, but she is a new employee hired by hired to replace Petey, the former head of MDR. And so we're trying to figure out what the heck happened to Petey? You know, where did he go? What's going on with him? And Heli Riggs or Heli R is, um, we're trying to figure out what her, motivation is we try to figure out why she's she's woken up on a table or you know i can't believe they just like threw her on her table that's where she wants to wake up as her severed self <laughs> i was like okay so um yeah i was i was i was pretty hooked by that just her uh britney lowers kind of like wide-eyed like oh my god what is going on face you know <laughs> i was i was here for it the whole time um and I think her, she's kind of our um, proxy character. Uh, like we are kind of experiencing in real time what the severed program is. And we're also exploring it as well through 
her kind of quote unquote manager boss, which is Adam Scott, and just the ridiculous of ridiculousness of uh, going through the program and entering the building itself is an, is a montage in its own. Um, you know how deep and and far below you got to get into the severance program to actually really understand what's going on. Um, you know how top secret this tech is. Let me get a little bit of coffee. So, um, yeah, her, her wide-eyed expressions throughout this whole thing of, like, discovering what's going on is um, very important for understanding the characters as well. Tramel Tillman, I've never seen this guy. Um, and I got to say, let me see, he's a theatrical actor, um, like off-Broadway and on-Broadway. Um, has a little bit of television under his belt too. Difficult People, Diet Land, Elementary, God of, uh, God, Godfather of Harlem. I've heard good things about that. Um, and Hunters, haven't seen that. And of course, Severance now. This guy is fucking amazing. I was blown away with his ability to interact with all of these uh individuals mostly because one i had never seen him so he's like for me he's an unknown actor um kind of in the same realm as um brit brit lower for me I, I hadn't seen her in anything either um to my knowledge and tramil tillman's ability to kind of you know have this uh smile that would turn into like this sinister smile was amazing his his uh performance and just his body language and his uh, expressions in this show um, really made me, uh, you know, give a golf clap to him. You know, we're talking about the Masters, too, a little bit. You know, we're not talking about the Masters, but yeah, just because we're timely like the Masters. Um, every time he was on screen, I just was like, I was floored with his performance. I'm so scared that Marvel is going to see this guy. And just pick him up for a superhero role because he is the type of guy and type of actor that you want to be able to, you know, have kind of a, a interesting physique when it comes down to his uh, his the way he carries himself, the way he's a, a ability to balance a comedy and drama all in one blend and maybe all in one scene, uh, and then a splash of sinister. He reminds me of. Uh, Jonathan Majors in a way with how um, confident he feels on screen and his ability to carry, like I said, comedy and drama, how important those two are together. Um, I was blown away by his performance. Um, Jen Tulak as uh, Devin, who is Mark's pregnant sister, it kind of comes into play as the rest of the season goes out. I, I thought her ability to, ability, um, to bounce off Devin's ability to bounce off Mark just with their um, kind of over the top uh, unpredictable comedy. They, they would just have like these really quick snippy one-liners in a way that would, um, I was like, Oh shit. You know, they definitely feel like they were of uh, a family. Um, Miss Casey. Let me see. Yeah. Miss Casey. Um, yeah, this actually is a spoiler for people that have not watched the show, so I don't want to give too much away. I, I actually, we're in spoiler section, so I, I technically can, but if you uh, 
well, you're in spoiler section now, so it doesn't really matter. But Deach, Deach and Latchman as Miss Casey is the wellness counselor on the severed floor. So we got a little bit of stuff to uh, kind of uh, see. She's been in uh, some television as well. Being Human, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Altered Carbon, Last Resort. She's in, in Animal Kingdom as well. Um, I don't remember seeing her in Animal Kingdom. Maybe she's in the latter seasons. Um, she's also been in films such as Aquamarine, Bled, Lust for Love, Too Late, and Bad Therapy. I haven't seen any of those, but uh, um, I, I'm pretty in, impressed by her ability. She's Australian, by the way by her ability to kind of uh, bring in this very uh, cold robotic um, type character that is clearly um, something's going on with her in the first couple seasons, this first couple episodes, excuse me. And you find out later in the season, like I said, we're going to, we're spoilers at this point. We find out that she is Gemma. Gemma is the quote unquote, dead wife of Mark, who was in a car wreck, apparently, and a former, um, she, she was a professor as well. But for some reason, she's on the severed floor, and she's not dead. And Audi Mark does not know that. And any Mark knows who Miss Casey is, but he doesn't know that it's his wife. Um, so they're like working together ever so often. She has the wellness counselor has these wellness sessions that are just like they have to hear things that any versions of the characters that are in the show get to hear what their outer outies are uh outies are like and so um and when they're hearing these things they have to go through this uh, very weird rig uh, rigorous uh kind of program where she's just sitting there and telling them all about themselves and they have to equally give each of the details the same amount of attention so they can't like really smile they can't cry they can't like show expression they have to absorb each of the facts quote unquote equally and so i was um the, the first time you're going through it, I think it's with uh, John Totoro, and it is kind of bizarre to see and hear, and it is so fucking uh, ridiculous is, is the only word I can think of, but um, I'm sure there's a better adjective that we can uh, kind of place there, but it is, it's funny. And I got to say, even the, the side jokes in this, the things that you think are just jokes in the show become actual plot points and uh narrative touchstones throughout um you know throughout the show when she's talking about you having to you have to uh react to the to your audi's um the information you're hearing about your audi equally it's a touchstone that comes back in like the seventh episode of finding out who Gemma is and uh, there is this very interesting reveal as Audi, uh, Mark S is kind of going through this other, uh, trying to go through another, dip his toe into a relationship um, with another character named, um, we're going to call her Lexi because uh, otherwise we're going to set off all the Echo devices in the, everyone's home. So we're just going to call 
the A-L-E-X-A character, Lexi, okay? So when he's trying to talk to Lexi throughout this entire um, television series, or at least this first season, he, he's talking about his dead wife and everything like that. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not revealed that it is Gemma or Miss Casey until episode seven. And it's, he's, he's talking very, very much similar details that Gemma was um, giving in her wellness sessions. So if you go back, this is going to have a tremendous rewatch uh, rewatchability on the show is because there's so many little minute clues that you think are just like possibly just uh, details about um, or sorry comedic parts of relief they actually are details about the plot that you kind of need to pay attention to uh, Michael Chernis as Rick and Hale oh my god he is he is another uh, like staple of the show that had me in tears just laughing my ass off about the things that he was doing and saying and he's like the self-proclaimed author in this first episode they're having you know dinner with no food and he's like oh i love these types of meals and shit like that i don't i can't think of any of the, the lines he has the top of his top off the top of my head but um he has these you know he almost has a minor cult following of like these self-righteous individuals who are trying to follow in the the way of the ricking kind of thing and he has this book that he's created and there's just so many side jokes that uh honestly come to bear of like you know they aren't major plot points in the show but it still had me in fucking tears um just laughing my ass off at how ridiculous this guy was and you don't, don't really realize it but it's kind of toward the end of the season that he knows that um mark thinks he's kind of ridiculous and stuff like that but um this book that rickon creates gets in you know he, he writes he's like there's 20 copies out there everyone's gonna want one if it gets out so it's like i don't know about all that but um rickon essentially is um he has this book and it's all about kind of ridiculous things that are happening, happening, um, you know, outside the world, just kind of taking minute words and, you know, explaining them in ways that are very just on the surface, you know, ridiculous. Um, and so they kind of, uh, the, any versions of um, the characters and workers are reading this, uh, this self-help book, quote unquote, um, and they kind of look at him as like, a, not quite their God, but he is kind of like a redeemer and he's kind of a buffoon in real, in the, in the real life of the show. <laughs> and so, um, you really kind of have to, uh, watch the show to understand how ridiculous this guy is. Let's go to John Turturro. Oh my God, John Turturro. I knew recently he was kind of having a renaissance of, uh, uh, coming back and, most of his roles, for me, I had seen him in, um, you know, comedies, comedy dramas, but he is so damn good. I think the earliest thing I've seen him in was um, probably Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, I believe. That was the first thing I saw him in, and he's been in a ton of other things as well. Um, he was in Raging Bull. I didn't even see that, but um, I know he's been in classics like that. But he's big Lebowski, uh, the 
let me see if anything else that kind of there's so many things that I, I can even like uh put my finger on all of them he was in obviously the transformers franchise which i think they completely underutilized him in that um but when i saw what he could really do recently in um we saw him in the batman most recently but we also saw him in the television show the night of he plays uh i, I believe like an attorney or a lawyer or something like that trying to get this guy out for this crazy murder that the guy can't remember he did um you know, John Turturro has this face that they can just put the camera on and you feel instantly empathetic toward this character. Like, it's not even sympathetic as in, like, just seeing him, but empathetic. Like, you can absolutely feel the pain that this guy is going through. And um, he is just having a new renaissance, and I, I want him to be continuing on in, in these types of roles of you know the, the comedy drama television shows because um he just brings the fucking fire i was just i was blown away by the uh performance he was giving i was like he, it was even better than in the batman because um you know he's allowed to in this series kind of give uh, a comedic performance and a dramatic performance and he has a love interest that you are feeling for this entire time and so uh this is where i'm going to talk about the other characters that are in this that i didn't even see advertised christopher walken as burt goodman the severed chef uh sorry the chevr the severed chief of uh optics and design division who is drawn to irving so christopher walken we already know he can do basically no wrong but he's been playing himself in so many different uh you know, pieces of filmography. I, let me see if, I think it was, when do they start kind of basically playing a parody of himself? I feel like he's been playing a, a parody of himself for like maybe 10, 15, 20 years since mid 2000s. Um, let me see if I can find it. Oh my Jesus. I didn't realize he was a Broadway actor. I, I, I kind of was a little bit in the dark about that, but you know, we've, we've seen him in a bajillion different movies. He's been in over a hundred movies and television shows, uh, the deer hunter, King of New York, Batman returns, Pulp Fiction, Sleepy Hollow, true romance, catch me if you can, um, music videos as well, dancing his ass off record with, uh, recording artists such as uh, Madonna, Fatboy Slim. He's been in a bajillion things. His filmography has its own, uh, <laughs> basically has his own Wikipedia. Um, yeah, and he's been in theater up until about 2010. He's voiced in video games. Um, you know, he has, I think he's been on a CD before on you know, what, uh, The Raven, whatever. Um, he's done a bajillion different things. And uh I haven't seen him on too much television recently. I, I honestly haven't watched him on any of his television shows. He was uh, uh, on Saturday Night Live a few times between uh, the 1990s and 2008. Um, but yeah, I haven't really seen him in too many things uh, outside of his filmography. Like, I think he's basically been playing himself since uh, the mid-90s. I mean, he kind of started to play a, a version of himself um, in Pulp Fiction, I think around maybe true, uh, it was probably around Batman Returns in 92 that he kind of was starting to evolve into just playing Christopher Walken and everything he's in. 
he's not just playing Christopher Walken in this in this show, which is why I think I like him a little bit more in this than most things recently, mostly because he is playing a version of himself, but he's playing a version that is so much more uh, sympathetic in a way that you are like, wow, it's, um, it's uh, touching. It's, he's drawn to the character of Irving um, throughout the entire series. And I didn't think that I was going to have like this emotional connection to the show, let alone to the characters having um, some sort of, uh, you know, touching part about it. But um, let me grab some real quick. But um, yeah, Irving, Irving is, um, is drawn to the Burke character. So we have two amazing actors, John Turturro and, Christopher Walken um, coming together and they have amazing chemistry. The um, from the writing of them kind of dancing around to see if they are, you know, like each other, they sort of flirting a little bit with each other, but there's just these scenes of like Christopher uh, Irving's Bert's care, the Bert character in Irving, they, you know, are they going to, you know, have a connection? And they absolutely do. I was like, Jesus, I, it was one of the most heartfelt um, relationships on screen was between two gay men that I have been watching for years and never even considered uh, that they would be a good couple. But I'm like, good God, you know, I, I felt the love. Um, and so a lot of it is... Um, it, it, it is a lot of it is, is Bert kind of being charming, but John Turturro's character is Irving. You just see his eyes, you know, every time we turn the camera to him, it's just like, oh my gosh, he looks like a little puppy that, uh, you know, you just want to help. And so I was, um, I was floored by it. Um, Patricia Arquette, Patricia Arquette is kind of in the same way as, uh, as uh, Christopher Walken, really. She has this ability to be really, really intense, but also reel it back into a different gear and then be extremely sweet. And she has this like interesting transatlantic accent going on as the outer, outer selves are interacting with. And so I'm just like, what is going on with this character of Harmony Coble um, or Miss Selvig's who's uh, Mark's boss? And also Mark's next door neighbor. I will say another uh, another line or part of the puzzle that I was a little bit in the dark about was why was she so obsessed with Mark to the point where she's like break basically breaking in his house and um, you know violating his space and stuff like that, essentially spying on him at all times without the quote unquote board's knowledge. Now there's this ominous board. Uh, board members that we only really get to interact with for the first half of the season. Um, over over half the season, we're just trying to figure out who the hell is the board. Um, is it Rickon? Is it um, is it uh, this uh, ominous lady? You know, Natalie. Uh, is it this family called the Egans? Which it's that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, whoever created the lore of the Egans is just hilarious. I, like I said, the writing and the backstory of all of this going on is um, just has me had had me in tears from from rolling on the ground in tears. You know, I, I was I was loving it. Um, 
so yeah, I do feel like the overarching story is extremely strong, but I will say that there's small things like the PD character played by Yule Vasquez as um, he plays PD um, or Peter Kilmer, an ex-severed lumen worker and Mark's best friend who was fired under mysterious circumstances. Essentially, PD figures out what's going on with the severance program and them having to go through like the quote unquote scary break room. And, um, you know, basically he finds out how terrible the, the severed program is and that the Ennies want a lot of them, once they find out how bad it is, they want out or they want to be reintegrated with their outer self. And so if the any wants out or if they are terminated by their outer self, um, which is the scariest thing on, on its, on its, uh, on the face of it is that, um, you know, it, the two halves of the person, um, the reason that they are in the severed program are because of themselves. It's not really a hundred percent the, the company doing that, but it's yourself that is pushing you back into the program. And so it, that's probably one of the scariest things about the, um, about the show itself. Oh, got a little bit on mustache. Um, yeah, so the scariest thing is the, um, the fact that you are your own worst enemy in this show. It's like, oh, fuck, that is some scary shit. And so PD figures this out very, very quickly. And the first couple episodes, we're trying to kind of figure out who the hell this PD guy is. And it eventually comes to light that, you know, he is uh, uh, ex-severed lumen worker and he's figured out how to reintegrate himself um and eventually because of medical circumstances he is he dies on his own because of i guess how the severance program was turned off um by this other individual named Rigabi, who is a former lumen surgeon and so that's another part of the puzzle that is really not touched upon in this show. It's just, um, uh, it's essentially not swept under the rug, but it just feels like they want to leave a lot of stuff for season two. So I'm glad that season two has been, um, you know, has, has been um, announced. So uh, Michael Comsty as Doug Grainer, Mr. Grainer, has his face like like i've never seen someone's face just like immediately like oh my god this guy needs to be definitely head of security of whatever business you got because he has just got this face that i'm like scared to death of um if he was in my school when i was in high school or junior high i'd be like holy fuck i never want to see that guy in my life he seems like a uh uh, the, the the actor seems like a very maybe a nice guy but i'm not talking about the actor but the character he's playing just is like really fucking intense he eventually is taken off the board by ragabi in the second to last episode i believe and um that's when you're just like oh my gosh it's like this there is life or death going on in this show as well so uh lexi who plays uh devin's midwife uh, is played by Nikki M. James. Um, she's kind of more or less like the side subplot to kind of really push Mark in a way that says, you know, do you want to be in a relationship and kind of move on from the death of your wife? And unfortunately, it is it's a rocky relationship for him and for 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 Mark and um, Lexi. 
Um, let me see. Natalie is played by Sydney Sydney Cole Alexander, is Lumen's PR representative and liaison for the board of trustees, and she's always talking to the board on this like Bluetooth earpiece, and it's just like, oh my lanta, the uh, the only way that you're going to be able to talk to this uh, board is like going through her as the proxy, and it's like, are we ever going to get to see who's on the board really? And it's it's kind of played up for comedic effect, but it's also very intimidating as well because it's like, all right, it's like once the board's done talking to you, it's just like they're off. And so let me see who else we got. Uh, da, da, da. Mark Geller's likeness as Keir Egan, the founder of Lumen Industries, who is worshipped with cult-like reverence within the company. I mean, they essentially are they've turned here into what is essentially the um it's almost like a cult like mentality of just everything's for here everything's for the egans everything's um you know all praise the egans um then we have uh what is it uh michael spyberry as a uh, jane jane <laughs> jane Oh my guess. I I have a buddy that's uh, name's James and they just like call him Jane ironically as well. Jane Egan, the um current CEO of Lumen Industries is uh he's not really revealed till the end of the season, but um yeah. He is <clears throat> I think the father of now we know is uh Helly Riggs, who is actually an Egan as well. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, when I was listening to podcasts, a lot of people were predicting that someone that is severed is going to be an Egan. And a lot of people were putting the play, the not the blame or putting the, uh, the idea that Helly was an Egan. So when it was revealed that she was an Egan, I was like, oh, yeah, it kind of makes sense a little bit. And just the way that they kind of treat her in a way. Um, but, you know, Heli did, the inner Heli did try to um, commit suicide at one point during the um, course of the season because she did not want to be, she didn't want to be severed anymore. She didn't want to be that version of herself anymore, that type of thing which is very understandable, but it, it's also scary that it was her outer self that was pushing her back in. And I got to say, the editing of the show was very, very um, spot on. Not only is it um, from the comedic standpoint, but kind of the splicing the individuals going in and out of the stairwell. I was fascinated from an editing standpoint, just from a technical standpoint, that this show was so well-crafted. I... Um, you know, as a digital media creator and content creator, it makes me want to, um, you know, study this from like a, a technical standpoint, because I was like, good God, this is amazing. It's, it, it is like a magic trick of like, how the hell did they do that? Um, and so when they show the different perspectives of the Audis and the Innies of, you know, why they're being pushed into the hallway and then being pushed out back into the severed program, um, and how that is affecting them mentally is um, pretty interesting, you know, just from uh, the visual standpoint alone um, and horrifying from the story perspective. Um, let's see what else. And what I hadn't even thought about 
uh, until I had listened to a few podcasts about it, um, is are they testing the severed program for other, you know, wide use, not just using it in the workplace. But we do find out in the final episode that, you know, they are being severed for, they're trying to offer the severance program for other reasons, such as uh, pregnancy and um, not wanting to remember how, um, how difficult it was to have a baby or something or something like that. That would be an example. Um, but from the any perspective, that person that just had the baby, um, let's just say you're in, you have the severance program or the microchip in your head um, turned on and off. The only thing you're going to remember as an any is the the pain of childbirth. And that's what that any is going to remember, which sounds horrifying on the face of it. Um, you know, just putting yourself or someone's self in that perspective. I'm like, good God, this is horrifying. Um, so, you know, they are trying to expand the severance program. And so, um, yeah, there is uh, PD's ex-wife, uh, Nina, PD's daughter, June, those kind of feel like they are not unnecessary plot lines, but they kind of just feel like a little bit of extra fat onto the uh, the show. My guess is that those characters probably were not on the initial storyboard for um, the the story originally. So I'm my guess is that you know what had happened was they added these characters after the show was. Uh, greenlit and they probably need a few extra episodes to kind of follow through with like PD and stuff like that. So um, yeah, Gabby Arteta is a new mother named uh, so a new mother married to Angelo Arteta. Angelo Arteta is a senator that is trying to legalize the severance procedure. Um, and he's really for the severance procedure for, you know, reasons like his wife is having multiple kids. And apparently she just doesn't want to go through the pain of or remember the pain of childbirth. So um, that's one of the reasons he's for it. And it's, you know, maybe not so positive in the pers that perspective. Um, and Ragabi, the former surgeon, um, Lumen surgeon, who I think implanted the chip and then um you know, tried to help PD out eventually, but PD, um, I knew PD was not meant for this world is because if you've ever seen one of these types of, um, I don't know, if you've ever seen PD, sorry, the, the characters that escape the weird, you know, programs or companies and they're on the run and they are not the main character, they are just primed to be taken off because they have too much information generally in most of these stories. I, I'm trying to think of off the top of my head um, what PD's character would, would relate to. But if you have watched any television show of, of this nature, you would realize that all oh, PD has got a big X over his head and you got to watch out for anything that's going to happen. And ironically, he's, he's uh, his 
character is experiencing like the any and Audi versions of himself are just kind of like clashing and the editing of it is is pretty remarkable but eventually it kind of like succumbs to some sort of like brain hemorrhage or damage or something like that and he just goes down in the middle of a gas station um and it kind of feels a little fucked up that mark doesn't go to help him immediately but i guess he doesn't exactly know who he is but uh the outer version of himself is but it's also sad that he didn't go to help his friend who apparently it was he was one of pd was one of his best friend in the severance program so um yeah small small gripes but the majority of the show is fucking phenomenal let's talk about this very final episode real quick episode nine the way we are mark's any awakes in devin's home and finds him hugging cobell this is right when we find out that uh, there is this OTC program over, uh, what is it called? The um, Basically, you can override the severance program to make it so that the inner self comes out anywhere they need. Um, but it requires two people. So uh, Dylan G, he's got the strength of two men, has to like spread his arms very far and wide to click these two knobs to turn on the severance or turn off the severance program to bring the innies out when the characters are in the real world. So you're from episode nine to sorry, eight to nine, you're like, holy shit, this is going to be an amazing episode. And it fucking was. Um, so the any self uh, awakes, Mark's any awakes in Devin's home and finds him hugging Cobell while excusing himself to, uh, sorry, while excusing himself to find Devin, he calls Cobell by name, alerting her that the overtime contingency um, has been activated. And I actually didn't catch it at first that he called her Cobell and not Selvig. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what Patricia Arquette's motive is. It feels like the majority of the season she's um, trying to prove that the severance program can uh, can be reversed in a way, or at least uh, you know reintegration is possible. Um, and I'm not sure if reintegration is the any taking over the Audi self, or if the any and the Audis are becoming one. I'm still kind of learning about that. Um, I think it might be the, the latter. Um, but essentially, it seemed like because she got fired, and they find out that she's going way and above. Uh, company grounds of like basically stalking Mark at these points um, that she does find out um, Mark wants to quit the severance program and she's like good get rid of them and stuff you know get away from them kind of thing and then she finds out the overtime contingency program or overtime contingency has been activated that um, you know something bad is going to happen and it feels like she kind of snaps back to like being a, a Lumen employee like oh shit I got to go help these people and so um, Cobell calls Milchek and has him check the security office. And we were doing this hopping editing style from going from um, Irving to Dylan G to Mark S to Heli R. And all of them are experiencing different parts of the world uh, where they're at. Heli wakes up in the middle of uh, the big gala that's been talked about for the last few um, weeks. And, you know, Mark wakes up into this like small party at Rickon's house and, um, you know, uh, Dylan G's uh, stays inside uh, the overtime contingency security hall or something like that. So he doesn't get turned 
his inning doesn't get turned in. But, um, you know, because he has to hold the uh, switches while they're doing this. So there's like this ticking time. It's not it's not a literal ticking time bomb, but it's like how long can Dylan hold the seven, you know, the overtime contingency switches and uh, before Milchek gets to him. So you're just like on pins and needles watching this shit. So like the pacing and the tone and you're like, holy shit, this is fucking amazing. Um, so Kobol calls Milchek and has him check the security office. Mark privately reveals to Devin that he is in any form. Um, Devin tells him of Gemma's death and learns that Miss Selvig is Mark's boss. And this like reveal of Miss Selvig not actually being, um, you know, like the midwife lady. Um, I got to say real quick that Patricia Arquette has this one. Um, the reveal is amazing. You're like, holy shit, where's the fucking baby? There's, uh, before I go through the next couple lines, there's a scene of Miss Selvig or Patricia Arquette kind of like showing how to like take care and feed the baby and stuff like that. Um, they have the ugliest fucking baby, <laughs> baby uh, uh, that they're like, it looks oddly realistic, but also it's got like the scowl on her on the face of the baby. It's not a real baby, but she's like, you first you got it. She's like acting all like uh, sweet towards this fake baby. And you're like, the camera's kind of like looking over her shoulder and stuff like that. And then she's like, yep, you just go like this at a latch. And then she's like, and then you're all done. And she slings the baby on the fucking, the, the fake baby on the um, the couch, like face down. And she's like, that's how you do it. <laughs> it's like the worst like bedside uh, uh, comfort that you could ever really get um, that had me fucking dying laughing i was fucking cracking out loud um but yeah i was i was totally here for it <laughs> and um so yeah when they find out that miss selvig is actually miss kobo uh is harmony it's just like holy santa Claus shit and so it's like everyone's running through the house trying to find the baby rickon's flipping out this one guy that's one of rickon's friends is uh eventually takes uh he's like following mark throughout the house kind of trying to look for the baby mark actually does find the baby and this other guy comes and claims <laughs> claims that he did hey he's like i found it i found her i found her <laughs> it's like oh my gosh um that was that was a hilarious shit it's like it's like why why is this so important to you that who found the baby <laughs> it's like all right whatever uh, ass um so irving wakes up in his apartment outside uh, sorry, wakes up in his apartment discovering his Audi's paintings and military background. It is pretty horrifying. It's like Ace of Spades. You know, they have some pretty notable uh, songs throughout this uh, series. They probably had to shell out some serious doage um, for them. But I got to say that uh, the I got to say that the the hallways that Irving was apparently just repetitively painting as his Audi self are just all over his fucking wall. And I kind of wish that they would have saved that reveal for the, when he is any had discovered it. Um, we do get this like black goo throughout the series that we're trying to figure out why, um, why Irving is seeing this black goo all over the place. And you figure out, Oh, it's paint under his fingers. It's paint that he's seeing. Um, and his outer self is painting like the break room and like repetitive times listening to some crazy ass music um 
And so we don't get too much of the outer Irving about understanding where he's coming from, but he is, he does have a dog named Radar and he's, you know, living alone, that kind of thing. And, you know, we do discover he has this military background. Maybe he's suffering from PTSD and wants to uh, kind of forget about it through the Sever program. Um, he also finds a map and an employee directory in the closet which he uses to locate Bert. And it looks like his outer self has already been trying to navigate all of this uh, information, but, uh, you know, inner, inner Irving is like, oh my gosh, you know, I've been kind of thinking about this regardless if I'm in um, the severed program or not, you know, regardless if I'm in the severed workspace or not. And so, you know, Irving's immediately on the mission to go find uh, Bert and, I could tell from a mile away, this is nothing but heartbreak about to happen. I was like, first of all, um, I do got to say the leaving of Bert um, was amazing. You know, you smug motherfucker, you like the, the, from the dance party to the melon party, to the watermelon party, to the goodbye Irving party, um, to just the circle of, uh, the severed employees kind of talking about themselves and they really don't know anything about themselves so when they're announcing things at the beginning when heli's giving her announce, you know hi i'm heli I, you know i'm five two I, I like melon you know that it's very subtext. you know on the on the face of it just information of who they are what they look like because they don't have really any personalities as as uh, uh the inner self so it's just kind of uh ironically funny and sad at the same time <laughs> um so anyways i knew bert was going to when when bert leaves that is a very sad um goodbye scene with uh irving just in complete heartbreak you know when he's um when they're gonna burn this motherfucker down but he has to go find bert first i was totally here for it i was uh but i also so i was predicting mentally i was like this is nothing but heartbreak about to happen because um you know alder bert decides that he needs to retire he wants to retire and any bert can't really do anything about it and irving is hurt the entire time and of course he's going to be hurt when he finds out bert has already got a um you know a real life love interest um that is not irving Heli's inner Innie wakes up at Lumen's Gala, where she learns that her Audi is Helen Egan. And uh, like I said, it probably would have hit me a little bit more if I, I didn't have that kind of earworm that someone's probably going to be an Egan. But it did kind of make a lot of sense that she would she would have some sort of connection towards, um, you know, the Lumen company. She a lot of her backstory was kind of held close to the chest you know the heart the cards were held close to the chest about that um so she's the daughter of lumen's ceo jame egan the name james cracks me up i'm sorry <laughs> um not james jame uh who underwent severance uh to build public support for legalizing the procedure cobell races to the gala and attempts to stop heli from making a scheduled speech Milchek reaches the security office and cuts his way through the makeshift restraints Dylan has placed on the door. Same restraints that he uses to pull Burke back. And I got to say, there is this like um, the different departments that they apparently never interact. The fucking place downstairs of the severance program is like a goddamn maze. 
and you never see any other employees except for the ones that are in your department. And so there is kind of like this uh, underlying, like uh, underlying spec spectacle of uh, did one of the departments decide to go crazy and really just have like an uprising and a coup. And so it really makes Dylan the entire time so skeptical of Bert, but you find out Bert's basically just a nice guy and the other departments are just as nice too, but there is this like contention between them and friction that is happening throughout the entire time that cracks me up. My God. Um, and he, at one point, Dylan uh, does this crazy looking rope knot and keeps Bert locked up. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling this was shot b between um, COVID um, times and whatnot. And so I'm, I'm curious if they had to go into the restrictions. I'll, I'll kind of look into it in the production of it. Um, but I'm pretty sure this was a, a quote unquote COVID production. And I never felt deterred from it by that. Um, you know, just because there was only a couple, a handful of people in the scene, it, I never felt like I was like, oh, this is clearly happening because of COVID. You know, it always made sense why there was only a few people on the, on the screen. Um, so, and the lack of security kind of goes along with what, how they're allowed to kind of go through um, the severed floor without out being seen. And, you know, there's one part where there's the baby goats in the closet or something like that. And of course I got to talk about the waffle party real quick, but the fucking waffle party, I've never seen something so sexy and horrifying at the same time. I've seen over probably 550 different pieces of media between movies and TV and the last uh, three or four years that I've actually I've covered on the podcast and I have never seen anything quite like this like this horrifying waffle party that is happening in this recreation of the original home of one of the Egan's and Dylan's all about it I guess I don't know he uses it to his advantage <laughs> I don't really know the uh, um, so he earns a waffle party and it's like this weird Cirque du Soleil sexual Joker-esque uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like they have like a, these individuals, I think they're all women. They're all in like this burlesque outfits in this really dark room after Dylan G has eaten these waffles in the dark in this recreation of this old ass house that is in the severed floor. It's like, where is this even taking place? So in the severed floor, they have an Egan house and he goes, they had, it's like supposed to be like a museum kind of, uh, of the Egan's and I guess, and of their lives, but we go to it and he's eating Dylan G's eating these waffles. And then after he's done eating the waffles, he has to <laughs> put on this Jame Egan head, paper mache oversized, creepy looking head and sit on the Egan bed and then and he has like these like uh, these like whips or something like that I guess I don't remember what, what it's called but like these this like whips um and he sits on the bed and with his little prize that he had gotten that is actually like this piece of glass that is 
um, kind of like what Marquez has on his table um, of all four of them, you know, the picture of them, but it's kind of etched in glass. Anyways, he's holding that. And so he has this James Egan head, paper mache, staring at what looks like a joker, a queen, a king, and like some other characters dressed up in like what looks like Cirque du Soleil outfits with oversized paper mache heads that are scary as fuck. I was like, what is even going on? I was blown away by whoever thought about this and this ridiculousness of this waffle party that we've been hearing throughout this entire series that I I can't even barely describe it. It is so fucking ridiculous. But anyways, um, I digress. The uh, Cobell races to the gala. Um, <laughs> I can't even think straight after thinking about that waffle party. Um, Cobell races to the gala and attempts to stop Helly from making a scheduled speech. Um, Milchek reaches the security office and cuts his way through the makeshift restraints Dylan has placed on the door. And Milchek is like, if you don't open this door, you're going to get it. But the ways that he's trying to like convince Dylan that he needs that, that if, if he opens the door now, he'll give him like custom coffee coasters or something like that. It was like the most ridiculous things that he was offering. He's like, we got paintball. We got uh, custom uh, tablecloths or some shit, you know, custom uh, coffee holders or something. It was like the the things he was offering were so minute and ridiculous that it's like, of course, nobody would want that bullshit. <laughs> but uh, it goes along with like all the other dumb shit that um, they were uh, offering, <laughs> offering, you know, shriveled raisins in the, uh, in the uh, break room and stuff like that, extra, extra dry or something like that. It's just very minute prizes for these, uh, for these workers. So anyways, um, Milchek breaches the security office and, um, Cuts his way through the makeshift restraints Dylan has placed on the door before the overtime contingency is stopped. Helly gets on stage and tells the crowd of her any subjugation. And she's talked to her father at that point. Her father's fucking weird. Um, and I guess at that point, he just found out that uh, her any, any self tried to kill her um, or tried, you know, wanted to commit suicide. So he's kind of acting a little weird. I guess that's that, that would be natural. Um, or maybe he's just vegan. I don't know. And so he tells the, she tells, gets on stage and tells the crowd of the any subjugation. And the gala that they're at is like the photos that Milchek has been taking over the course of the entire series um, with this old ass fucking camera. And they're blown up on these massive screens and they are showing the quote unquote positive sides or the effectiveness of the severed program. It's like, holy shit, this is intense. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it's like when Helly sees that as their any self, she's like taken back, like, oh, my God, all of this is a fucking lie. And, you know, Helly gets on stage and it hurt when she's going on stage for her speech, which she's supposed to go up there and say all the good things the severed, the severed program is doing, which it's actually not. You know, she's like, they're torturing us down there. They're trying to get us shit. You know, they're trying to fuck us up down there. You know, help, 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 help. You know, she almost sounds like a crazy person. And 
when she gets on stage and tells the crowd of the any subjugation, Irving arrives at the same time. All of this is kind of like intercut at the same time. Irving arrives at Bert's house only to find he is married to another man. I saw that coming from a mile away. I was like, they got the big window right there waiting for heartbreak to happen. I was like, Irving, just go to the fucking door and say something, man. And so I don't even know if they get Irving gets to say anything. Mark finds a photo of his Audi's wedding to Gemma, thereby discovering that Gemma is Miss Casey. And I do feel like Miss Casey and Gemma, um, they get limited screen time throughout the series, but um, what is done with her is is pretty effective in just showing how uh, how much you would feel for her. Um, and so, you know, he's like, Mark's like, holy shit, she's a fucking live. And he's like running through the hallways. Like, and, uh, you know, she's like, she's alive. You know, like he like yells that she's alive in the middle of the party. Um, and Devin's like the only one that knows what's going on with Mark. And um, and then I guess the overtime contention in his head uh, contingency has has worn off because Dylan's uh, been tackled by Milchek and the switches are turned off. So it's like all at the same time at the most intimate moment, Im- imminent moment that um, they are turned back. And so he's running to tell Devin that his wife is still alive. And that, my friends, is severed. Let me know what you thought about the TV show. Let me know what you thought about the review. Um, I'm going to kind of give a little bit of uh, the background of what the production went through, I guess, just what the ideas were. It says, like, this this was influenced by, uh, I, I don't know what the Backrooms is or the Stanley Parable. But uh, I definitely saw elements of the, the Truman Show in it. Um, it looks like the majority of the cast are Ket, Lord, Tolock, Cherry. In the cast, Tillman were all joined around February 2020. Totoro, Walken were added in November 2020. Deachin Latchman was added to the cast in December 2020. Totoro said he recommended Walken for the role of Bert because he had known him for a long time and didn't really have to act they didn't have to even act like they were friends because they were friends. Um, April 6th, 2022, April, uh, sorry, Apple um, renewed for, renewed the series for a second season. Um, let me see what else. Let me see. Ben Stiller first read the screenplay to the pilot at least five years before the show premiered, calling it the longest thing I've ever worked on. The script was uh, submitted by Dan Erickson as a writing sample to Stiller's uh, to Stiller's uh, production company, Red Hour Productions, and passed to Stiller by development executive Jackie Cohen. Um, and so Stiller said he enjoyed the story contributions to the workplace comedy. And, um, and then in 2017, good Lord, that feels like 10 years ago, uh, Stiller invited Adam Scott to star. And then in November 2019, Apple TV gave Severance a series order with uh, Stiller directing and Scott cast in the lead role. Um, Stiller was only attached to direct the pilot, but he decided to direct several more episodes as the series entered development. Um, it's always interesting to see how things change and, you know, 
uh, evolve and progress as creatives become more involved in these types of uh, programs. So um, our series, let me see the filming. The COVID-19 pandemic postponed the initial production start of March 2020. Principal photography for the first season started in New York City. Under the working title Tumwater in November 2020, the day after the U.S. presidential election, um, the opening scene of the show was shot on January 6, 2021. The series filmed for a few days in Nyack. Um, where is that? That must be Canada, I bet. Oh, Nyack is a town in uh, New York, Rockland County, New York. Um in February and in Kingston and Beacon in March. In April, filming moved to central New Jersey. I think that's where actually the, the quote unquote Lumen building actually is located. And uh, mainly in the Bell Labs Homdell complex. I think that's actually where it's, that is. Yeah, it looks like a damn campus. It's fucking huge. Um, which stood for the Lumen headquarters. Um, filming was scheduled to conclude on June 23rd, 2021. Um, production designer Jeremy Hindle, I guess he was the one that was yeah, P, uh, the PD um, production designer. Jeremy Hindle blended corporate looks from the 1960s, 70s, and 80s from the show's distinctive look and cited modern, modernist architect Iero Saaren, Saaren, I guess, um, as influential for the building design. Um, it did remind me a lot of what uh, Ben Stiller's friend, I think in real life, Owen Wilson was just featured in was the Loki series. Loki, you know, it kind of had this workplace comedy vibe with, you know, the, the 1960s, 70s and 80s aesthetic, but it had this blend of like sci-fi with it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like uh, the Apple version of that. Um, but it goes a lot deeper, in my opinion, than just having um, the TVA, I think, was the company or the group that was running that that in that show um, instead of Lumen. Stiller said the prop master reconstructed old computers so that actors could actually do the work presented on the show in order to get the adjusted to the office setting. So just small, small things about this show, like the little, um, that from the editing to like the production design of them, like being able to push down the tops of the, uh, the desks of the cubicles. It's like there's four cubicles. And so it'd be like this and be like, and you know, Bert or Bert, sorry, Irving would be like, I don't know if you need to go do that. You know, this is against company procedures. And then it was like, uh, okay, you know, um, I was, uh, I, I thought that it was just fucking uh, phenomenal from that, you know, I, I can't really say too many uh, much better than that. Um, it's got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I really can't uh, disagree with that. So I look forward to the second season, I look forward to anything that Ben Stiller is going to direct. Um you know, as great of an actor as he is and everything that he's been in and produced, I think this is probably one of his uh, highest pieces of art and uh, I'm here for it. So let me know what you thought about the review. Let me know what you thought about the show. 
Um, be sure to check out luckitoutpodcast.com for all of the social medias. Get full reviews and help support the podcast on patreon.com slash luckitoutpodcast. You'll find and, the beginning. Um, thank you, everyone. a very long answer. Take it easy. What's happening? What is it we actually do here? It's important your eyes be kind. Do you know how to make your eyes kind?